morning. Welcome to Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. It's episode 259. 259. I'm just, I can't even believe that. 259 episodes. And I'm sitting here on August 10th, 2021 at eight o'clock in the morning. And in five days, God willing, I'll celebrate 15 years of continuous sobriety. And I think to myself, 15 years of continuous sobriety. Wow. 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 And um, it's a crazy, crazy thing because as many of you listeners know, alcohol was such a big part of my life prior to getting sober. Like it was my, alcohol was like my best friend. And I don't mean it like, you know, obviously somebody I call on the phone, but I mean, I love to drink. I loved drinking. I love partying. I loved it. It was like my favorite thing. At 13, I started drinking and, you know, I was raised in a house where drinking was totally what everybody did. And I remember still to this day looking at grownups because back then, grown up, grown up, at least when I was younger and I was born in 1968, if that helps, but I'd look at the grown, my parents and they'd be dressed nicely and they'd be at a party and they'd have a pretty drink and they'd be jovial and they'd be having fun. And I'd be like, I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to do that. I knew alcoholism was a thing because for better or worse, my parents talked about their mothers and how they drank too much and how they were alcoholics. And so I knew what an alcoholic was and it was the last thing I wanted to be. And, um, but they always drank and they never stopped drinking either of my grandmothers. They just drank till the end. But, um, I was, um, you know, and the only reason I'm regurgitating what my past was like, is just to bring people that maybe that are new to listening to my podcast or people that want to relate, because I feel like even though I have long-term sobriety, I still remember what it was like. I still remember the buzz. I still remember that last time I had a drink. And it's interesting because some people say, I don't remember my sobriety date. I don't know what my sobriety date is or whatever. And I'm always like, oh my God, I remember mine. And, um, I remember 15 years ago, I was drinking a lot. I was drinking a lot. I was in a lot of pain. And if you met me as a human, um, I come off with a lot of bravado. I've got a lot of energy. I, 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 I hold confidence. So I hold myself high. I, but inside, inside of here was this, like, this was the shell that I wore that it's like, I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. But on the inside, I was like, so scared to have a feeling because I thought that if I had a feeling that I would break into a million pieces. So what's the best way to deal with feelings is to drink. So I drank those feelings away for many, 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 many years from 13. I mean, from 13 to 37, I drank. And um, I never tried to get sober prior to getting sober. I never tried to cut down. I never tried to um, drink different drinks. Maybe I did. Maybe I would try not to have too many dirty martinis. That was my one thing. I would be like, if I have one dirty martini, I have two and then I have three and then I'm on the ground because that's just what I am. I like, I get really drunk and um, I can't walk and I, I, that you can't understand anything. I, 
say. So um, I, that's the way I drank. And I would be in a pretty dress and I lived in a pretty house in a pretty neighborhood and all that, but I still would be there um, totally wasted at the prettiest party with all the prettiest people. And um, I, there I would be with my drink and I'd be going in and out of blackouts. I don't remember this, but I think that's must've been what happened because I don't really remember a lot. Um, and I was a blackout drinker and people might say, what does that mean? And I mean by that, that I didn't like, I black out. Like I would not remember the next day, nothing. And some people, now I see on memes and I see on like, for instance, like the reality TV shows, they really talk about how, oh, I blacked out last night. I don't remember what happened. And they think it's funny. But for me, I was like, shit, that's kind of scary. Looking back, I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of things. So I was this blackout drinker and I was, um, and it was my best friend and it was my way of coping. I didn't have many coping skills. And again, I was not raised in a time where anxiety and all those buzzwords were out. So I didn't ever use those as ways of like saying, oh, I'm having anxiety. Let me deal with this. I'd be like, no, just get me another drink um, for better, for worse. That's what it was. And I, again, I've always been really social. So I'm an extrovert. I love people. I love all different kinds of people. Um, I love being around people. I love I love commiserating. I love dancing. I love the liveliness. I love talking. I just do. Hence, I'm doing this podcast. I've been doing 259, which is insane. But yes, I like talking and I like, so I like being part of the party. And so when I, when I delved into this, you know, 15 years ago, 15 years ago today, I was still drinking. It was the end of my drinking. I'd been drinking a lot at that point because I'd gone through a divorce and um, lots of feelings of that divorce. I can tell you that lots of feelings. It was like, I knew I was drowning in my marriage. I knew I had three little kids. I knew that I felt like I was being my husband's mom. And I, for me, being the parent to, to a grown man is just was not my idea of fun. I did not want to have to tell him what to do. I did not want to have to be, a, I, I mean, I love being a cheerleader, but to what extent, right? I love taking care of him to what to one extent, because I had these three little babies who really did need me a hundred percent, right? They needed me to change diapers. They needed me to help get dressed. They needed me to feed them. I needed to do all these things years ago. So the thought of being, so getting divorced, that was like a no brainer. I had to do that. That I was no way out. I, it was painful because I love my husband and I still love him because he's the father of my kids. I couldn't be married to him and do my life. And when that happened, I just, it was horrible. The feeling I felt inside, because as much, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but as much as I knew I had to get divorced, I mean, it was just not working. I hated that I had to blow up that nuclear idea of a family. I hated the idea that I had to put my loved ones through all this pain. I hate it that I had to break up my dream. I had to blow up what I thought my life was going to look like. Cause you know, forever, my life was going to be the white picket fence with the husband and the kids. And we were going to live old together. And we were going to have this marriage together for the rest of our lives. And that's not how it happened. So that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of I'm a failure, that feeling of I've let these people down. Those are a lot of feelings, right? And I was 37 years old and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I had all these feelings and I was like, what am I doing? 
how did I get here? I can't let these people down. I'm letting them down and it sucks. And I've got to get in my head, your head just goes with thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. And what are people thinking of me? And what are my kids going to be like? And this is horrible. And just all this horrible stuff. So I thought, oh my God, I'm going to come another drink. And because drinking was made everything go away, all those thoughts that went away. And I was cool at that moment. But see, the problem is I have one and I have 47. So I didn't know where I would end up. And um, the drinking, the drinking, the drinking. And so um, getting sober was like the last thing I'd ever thought I would do. And I don't even know why it was the grace of God. It was some guy that I never saw before. It was just this desperation that came out of nowhere being hungover after a long run, a couple of weeks of not stopping drinking and waking up and going, I can't do this anymore. And I woke up, fell to my knees, said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Talked to somebody who was in the program and he helped me point me to somebody who had what I wanted, which was long-term sobriety. And she was the first person I listened to. And I think back to that and I'm like, why did I listen to her? Like, I don't put anybody on a pedestal. You know, I think that um, all humans are fallible. And I think that humans make mistakes and humans, you know, are going to let you down. It's just the reality of a human being because we're none of us are perfect. We all let everybody down. We all let people down on our lives. We all screw up some way or another. None of us, maybe there is somebody out there that's perfect. I don't know them, but um, knowing that I needed help, that I needed help and I needed to get better and I needed to be sober was something that I kind of grasped on really, really tightly because I had been drinking for this whole time and I had these feelings and I needed to find a way to deal with the feelings and not drink, deal with these feelings and not drink. And I was so scared I was going to be like Humpty Dumpty and I needed somebody who's going to help me. Now I put this person on a pedestal, but not to the point where I was, I mean, I wanted what she had and I took her direction and it's weird, you know, people have let me down in my life, right? I had parents, just people let me down. I don't need to go into the whole litany of people, but you all know if you're human and you're listening to this, human beings let us down. I'm just going to use a random example, but I, I was raised Catholic. And so when that whole thing came down that, that the priests were doing things to little boys, I was let down by the, my church. So I left the Catholic church. And that's a true statement. It, I did not like what they were doing to little boys. I had little boys and I'm like, I'm out. And so they're human, right? They're human. And, I, they, and I'm going to keep coming back to that in this podcast today, because I think it's important to talk about that, that, that spiritual piece, that spiritual piece that happened to me when I got sober, because I think without spirituality, I would have nothing. And spirituality for me is... Um, not necessarily a a building that you go to, a religion you go to. Like you can see behind me, I've got a Buddha behind me if you're watching me on YouTube. Um, I have a Buddha sitting up there. I've got another Buddha in there. I got another Buddha in there. I got another Buddha out there. Um, I've got trees outside. I've got bird, I've got bird feeders outside. Um, I live in kind of a nature place. So there's nature all outside where I live now. And um, spirituality is important. But when I started out, in the beginning, and I got this person to help me. It's kind of like a mentor. We're going to call her my mentor. 
in a 12-step program they call him a sponsor, but she was like my mentor. She told me what to do to how to get to where she got and what she did and the steps she took to get to her sobriety and how she maintains long-term sobriety at that point and was a mom and has kids and has a husband and how she did that. And um, we walked through there's in the 12 steps of um you know, AA, I'm just going to say it because it's what I use for my toolbox. It might not work for you and that's okay. For me, it worked. Um, I, I don't take everything seriously. I take what I need. I leave the rest. It's principles before personalities. Um, I don't like, I don't like all the people that go there. I think a lot of them don't tell the truth. I think a lot of them do tell the truth. I think a lot of them let you down. A lot of them don't let you down. I think it's human. <laughs> It's crazy, but it's human. Um, everything's human. Nothing's perfect. There's no religion that's perfect. I don't think there's any person walking on this planet that's perfect. I think the only person that was perfect was God, Jesus Christ, if you believe that. For me, I do. And he's bigger than me. So I believe in that. And I don't have to just, I don't, I'm not a scientist, so I don't need to know the scientific stuff, but I know for me it works. So I have this higher power, God. Come God. But anyway, I went back going back to coming in here. So I was so scared. I still talk about it to this day. I still remember today, 15 years later. I remember walking in, going and asking for help from this person and taking her direction. Her direction was go to these meetings. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to these meetings. What are they going to be like? They're going to be the dredge of society. It's going to be like just old people. It's going to be just this. It's going to be just that. I had all these preconceived notions of what it was going to look like. Just like kind of had, I had these preconceived notions of what I wanted my marriage to look like. And when it doesn't turn out to be the way you look, thought it was going to be, you pivot, right? <laughs> so I've got divorced and I thought marriage was going to be great. And I had to pivot out of that. And so I, and my drinking didn't work. And so instead of being the partying girl, I had to pivot and become a sober girl. And, um, I think pivoting in our life is something that we do, we have to do all the time. And I think sometimes we're on a trajectory that's really great and it's going well for, and it doesn't, it might be 10 years, it might be 20 years, it might be 30 years, it might be 20 days, it might be two months, it might be three months. And you might realize I'm on this path and I don't like it and I need to pivot. We all need to take time to pivot. So if we're drinking too much and it's time to pivot to sobriety, it's, um, it's an amazing change that we receive from pivoting and getting sober. And it's been an interesting ride in that the longer that I've been on this journey, it's not about the drinking anymore. You know, for so long, it was about the drinking because the problem is, as I mentioned to you from the beginning, is that I saw my people in my life and my family drinking and they had happiness and they, I didn't talk about it, but I never looked at the other part of the happiness which was the whispering and the talking behind people's back. And I guess you would call that gossip. The gossip that was going on about the people, the feelings that went on the next day after the party, because it seems like the day after the party, the emotions are always flared, right? That's when they're screaming, yelling, crying, remorse, sadness, bitterness, um, regret. I could go on on a litany of, of adjectives that would describe the feelings that go on the next day after a party, but they're always really a pain. It's always painful. You know, I don't know anybody who drinks 
the way I drink and wakes up the next day. I mean, yes, I sometimes would wake up the next day and be like, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I still didn't remember things. It was fun, but I didn't remember things always. So I'd have to call my girlfriend and be like, so what happened? <laughs> I didn't, thank God there were no cameras like there are today readily at everybody's disposable on every human being in the world. There were no cameras or videos. There were I, video cameras at that point were like these big things. <laughs> they were not these things you carry around your pocket and everybody would pull, pull them out take pictures of you thank god because it would not have been good but you know i would drink and i loved it and it was amazing because it worked until it stopped working and when it stops working and you realize what it was doing for you so it's a poison for one that you put in your body for two it distorts your thinking right it distorts everything it makes you feel bloated. It may, I mean, I physically, what alcohol does to you is one thing. Mentally is another thing. What surmised it all to be is that, that when we drink, we react a certain way. Our thinking that we have gets distorted, but we already have distorted thinking if we're an alcoholic. Because I can tell you that I quit drinking, you know, 15 years ago, and I still sometimes have that distorted thinking. But what I learned when I came in here 10 years ago, when I, when I learned 15 years ago, when I came in, I keep saying 10 years ago, I don't know why, but 15 years ago, because maybe I don't want to be that old, but the reality is I am 15 years ago, I came in here and I put down the drink and I had to deal with my thinking. My thinking was what was askewed and it took a lot of time. It took a lot of time. I can tell you the longer I stay sober, the clearer things have gotten in my life. And it's because I'm constantly working on this. I'm constantly working on different tools that will help my thinking. And it's so amazing because now, you know, there's so many things that are out there about breathing, about meditation, about prayer, about spirituality, about being outdoors there's so many things you know i've watched so many when you watch the olympics because i watch commercials during the olympics and then when i watch certain television stations there's commercials about how you can buy something that will teach you to breathe if you have an apple watch it tells you to breathe right it says breathe now stop and breathe i that was not out there 15 years ago now it's become part of our lives People talk about it all the time. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Being sober is kind of cool right now. Somebody sent me an email recently and said, it's cool to be sober. I don't know how cool it is. It is cool to be sober. Well, I thought it was cool to be sober 15 years ago. Hence, I started Sober Not Ashamed and Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. You know, I started that like six years ago, but I was always sober, not ashamed. And I got out there and wanted to talk to people, wanted to talk to people. I've wanted to talk to people about this since the minute I got sober. And um the reality is, is that the thinking is what needs to change my thinking. And I don't know if necessarily just alcoholics have this thinking. I haven't had a conversation with a normal person because I don't know very many normal people to have these conversations with to say, oh, are you because normal people don't really want to go deep and have deep conversations. I don't, not everybody wants to go deep. I like to go deep all the time. Hence, only people that like to hang out with me like to go deep. It's kind of weird, but that's just me. But my deep conversations and my deep thoughts and my deep feelings that I have inside by myself when no one's watching are that I'm not enough, 
that somebody's out to get me, that I'm not okay. And I'm scared. And I'm not going to get what I want. And I'm scared. And I'm not going to get what I want. I don't even know what I really want. I don't know what I'm really scared of. But I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared what you're going to think. You're not going to like me. I'm scared of that. You're not going to like me. I'm scared. You're going to be talking about me. And you're going to be talking about me. And you're going to be talking about me. And it comes back, you're not going to love me. You're not going to love me. You're not going to love me. And I needed other people's love to love me before I love me. Does that make any sense? Because I came into this, I came into this 15 years ago, hating myself. On the outside, you think, oh my gosh, she's got this going on. She looks so great. It's all the outside stuff. But on the inside, like inside the core of me, I hated myself. I hated what I had done. I hated my behavior. I hated that I liked to drink so much. I hated like I was embarrassing myself. I hated that I gossiped. I hated that I was this person that, that people thought of on this level. And I knew people talked about me. I hated that. I hated this. I hated everything about me. I couldn't look in the mirror. I was like, if you knew what I did, you'd hate me too. Do you know I drive drunk? I pick up guys at bars. I do things that aren't appropriate. And you know what? I, I hate me. I hate me. I hate me. But if you like me, then I'm okay. But if you like me, I'm okay. If that person likes me. So at a party, if everybody likes me and is coming around and talking to me, then I'm okay. But then when I go home back by myself again, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm regurgitating the conversations I had earlier. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's all about everybody else wanting to make Elizabeth happy. And it wasn't until, I don't know the date, I don't know the time, I don't know what year it was, but I realized that I had to fall in love with Elizabeth. I know I was single when this happened though, but I knew I had to fall in love with me. And that was a really hard thing because I had these voices in my head that I had carried around since I was a little kid. You're not good enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. And I believed those loud voices of others that were in my head over my belief, which is that God loves me. I'm okay. Everything's okay. I love me. I'm good enough. Did I try hard today? Yes. Was I a good person today? Yes. Did I love my neighbor? Yes. Was I, I worked on the gossip. I still have to work on the gossip thing. It's a human nature thing. I'm a woman. I live in a community. Everybody gossips. It's just something people do. I'm trying, trying, trying to work on that still on today with almost 15 years. It's one of my things I work on. But that thought of falling in love with me was really hard. And it was really, really hard. And it took a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of work. And I don't mean physical work, but sometimes it was physical. Sometimes it was literally getting on my knees and praying to God, please take away these voices that are in my head that are telling me that I'm not good enough. That's what I had to do. Take them away, God. Please take these voices away because they were so loud. That was the voices, was the loud voices that said, you're not good enough. I had to make that go away. I didn't have alcohol to make those voices go away. So, and no human power could make it go away. So I had to pray for them to go away. I would sometimes have to write 
about those thoughts that I had in my head. Please take away this feeling of da 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 and da 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 and da 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 and write it down on a piece of paper. I always have a journal or I have a journal actually sitting right here. And um, because when it gets really bad, I have to write about it and say, God, please take this away. Please take this away. Take this away. And the more I did that stuff, those voices started to disappear and I could really get to become my authentic self and be who I really am at my core. Like I was when I was a little girl, like that heart of that little girl could come back and shine. And all those sayings that were hurt, you know, all those things that were told to me when I was in elementary school and high school that I wasn't enough, that I didn't do this well enough. I didn't do that well enough. And I came back to me, those all disappeared. I mean, the, all those thoughts that I had that I wasn't enough and that everybody's judging me. Well, the reality is everybody can judge me. Everybody can talk about me all they want. And people talk about it, people. I mean, I think about it and I'm like, I hope at least they're saying good, bad stuff about me. I hope it's entertaining. I hope it's exciting. I hope it's amazing what they're saying about me. Maybe it's terrible, but and make it awesome, whatever, how terrible it is. Because it doesn't really matter today. Because I don't have to live with the voices anymore. What somebody thinks about me is none of my business. We think that everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody likes this color of blue. Not everybody likes this color of brown. Not everybody likes this white. We all don't react to things the same way. So we aren't going to like everything. We aren't going to like every human being. We can be pleasant to them. We can say hello. But that means we're not going to invite them into our house to have dinner. We might not like them. We don't like them. We don't want to have them over. We get an energy feeling from a person. We don't want to have them over. That's okay. It's okay. You don't have to like everybody. Not everybody's going to like you. When we're in a large arena or a theater, we're going to always be pleasant to everyone. If we belong to the same club and we still don't like somebody, we're going to be nice to them because we're going to be pleasant. But that doesn't mean we invite them into their, our house. I didn't learn that until I was literally, I was probably... 40 something when I learned that but sobriety gave me that and sobriety gave me peace of mind and when I went back when I was talking about the spiritual peace you know spirituality is such a personal thing it's a very hard thing to talk about it's a very hard thing to describe what one finds spiritual I'm going to try and do this right now with you and see if this helps you at all. But so I was talking about being raised, you know, I was raised Catholic. And so I'd always had a vision of God. It was scary to me as a little girl. I looked up and you'd see Jesus on the cross and with the thorns and the blood in his hands as a little girl, that's scary to see, I think. And I probably as a little boy to see that and go, oh my gosh, that's really scary. And then you're going to go to hell. And that's scary too. As a little kid, you're like, oh. So all of those feelings were really, really scary that I had when I was little. And so when I came in, when I got sober and I had to learn about spirituality and finding something that was bigger than me that I could trust, because again, I said I couldn't trust any human, but I could trust something that was bigger than me. And for me, it was God. So God was not necessarily the Jesus on the cross. God was not necessarily the Jesus that was at the tomb or wasn't at the tomb when Mary Magdalene went there to find his body. It was more like God as in 
the universe. Um, I love the stories of the Bible. So um, the New and the Old Testament. So that those stories always resonate with me. And I love to hear a good sermon from a priest. They're human and what their take is. And I go to the Episcopal church. So it's their take on, you know, I think in the Catholic church too, but in the Episcopal church, my minister that I adore, Frank Allen, he would say his, just his sermons would always resonate with me because they brought them back to humanness. And so the stories of the Bible would be brought to today's world and I could relate with those. And that was my spirituality. I was like, there's God. Then things would happen in my life that would be like, is that a coincidence? Did that just happen on circumstance or was that God? And for me, I'd rather believe that it's God than just saying, oh, it's just a coincidence. And being able just to believe that, just to believe that. And then, you know, the longer I've stayed sober, the more I'm like the bird feeders, the birds coming to your bird feeders. That's very spiritual, isn't it? Watching a hummingbird come. That's very spiritual. I mean, they're so small. I keep seeing them, excuse me, in the morning. I see these hummingbirds. That's spiritual. That helps me to know that everything's okay. You know, having something bigger, my dear, dear friend said to me, you know, it's the sun rising and the sun setting is her spirituality. I love that too. That's spiritual for her. But she can rely on that for one day. Because all we have to do is be sober one day at a time. We don't have to be sober for the rest of our lives. We don't have to be sober for the whole week. We don't have to be sober for the next five days. We don't have to be sober for... We just have to be sober this minute, this instant. Take that in. What does that feel like? I just have to be sober today. I just have to be sober this second. How does that feel? It's not so scary, is it? You know, I couldn't stay sober. Um, I could not have stayed sober if I didn't do it one minute at a time, one second at a time. Some days it would be one hour at a time. Some days it's like, oh my gosh, it's one day. I don't even think about it, but it's taken a little bit of time in the beginning. I, um, in the beginning, I just stayed sober one day at a time, one day at a time. And some days when stuff was on fire, and I mean stuff with there was drama going on. I had ex-husbands, I had kids getting in trouble, not ex-husbands, plural. One ex-husband was enough for me, but I had one, I had an ex-husband. I just life was dramatic. I fires failing, like going off all around me. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna deal with this? Oh my God, I just want to drink and have all this go away. Oh my God. And then I'd have those overwhelming feelings of people talking about me. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And how am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna get through this? How am I gonna get through this day? I've got to get through this day. Maybe I'll drink tomorrow, but I can't drink today. Okay, well, how am I gonna do this? There's two other tools, and I'm gonna finish up with this because I don't want to keep you too long. And I only like speaking for, you know, a half an hour on here, but I'm going to get, um, I am going to get, I'm going to pull this up on my phone actually, because there's two things that have helped me the entire time I've stayed sober. Uh, and um, there are two prayers that literally 
have saved my ass for the past 15 years. When life gets lifey, when life gets to the point where I want to pick up a drink rather than stay sober. And when in the beginning of my sobrieties, and I, this is what helped me in my beginning of my sobriety, these two prayers, I'm going to put them in the podcast. If you go to busylivingsober.com, you can find these, but I'm going to read you acceptance, acceptance and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my, my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Is that amazing? So everything's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's me. The one thing that needs to change is me. Did you hear that in the prayer? I have to change. I have to change. How am I going to change? Reach out for help. Reach out for help. Do not do this by yourself. It is too hard. I've heard so many people say it's so hard to do it by yourself. I can't imagine not doing this by myself. I can't do this by myself. There's no way I can do this by myself. Getting sober is freaking hard. Okay. Staying sober at times when there's drama going on is hard. So how do you do it? You reach out for help. Call someone. You can always email me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. You can also go to busylivingsober.com and you can find all my information on there, but check out busylivingsober.com. It's got some, there's some great tools on there. There's actually a meeting every day called Morning Hope. It's in the tab on busylivingsober.com. And you can go to an, an an actual AA meeting that's on Zoom and you don't have to have a passcode or anything. It doesn't cost you any money. You just go, show up and people will be there to help you. And then I'm going to finish today's podcast with yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days which should be kept from free from fear and apprehension. One of these days is yesterday with its mistakes its and cares, its faults and blunders, its aches and pains. Yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. We cannot undo a single act we performed. We cannot erase a single word we said. Yesterday is gone. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow with its possible adversaries its burdens, its large promise and poor performance. Tomorrow is also beyond our immediate control. Tomorrow, some will rise in splendor or behind a mask of clouds, but it will rise. Until it does, we have no stake in tomorrow for it is yet unborn. This leaves only one day, today. Any man can fight the battles of just one day. It is only when you and I add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we break down. It's not the experience of today that drives men mad. It is remorse or bitterness for something which happened today, yesterday, and the dread of what may, wait, it's not the experience of today that drives men mad. It is remorse or bitterness for something which happened yesterday and the dread of what tomorrow may bring. 
Let us therefore live but one day at a time. This is on, I'm putting this on, on the little bio, bio of my podcast. Print it out, print this out if you can. Copy, paste it, put it in something, print it out, carry it in your pocket, put it on a small card, do whatever you need to do. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I carried this in my pocket. I read it like 800 times a day because my brain went to all this stuff that happened yesterday or an hour before, or my brain was so worried about what I was gonna do tomorrow that I would always never stay in today. Reading that prayer saved my butt. It learned, it taught me how to stay in today. The breathing helps you stay in the day. 15 years, you guys, it's been fun. It's been, there's been major heartache. I've lost many dear friends. Unfortunately, my bestest friends in the whole wide world are gone. And, um, and I didn't drink over it. And, um, I've been a mom for 15 years to my kids, which is something I won't, I've never regretted quitting drinking. Never. I never, I never, ever, ever have regretted me taking this first day of sobriety. I never regretted it. And I don't think I ever will. I don't think you will either. And um, just know you're not alone. You know, busy living sober is all about getting busy living sober. Get busy living in your life and have an amazing life. And don't let booze bring you down anymore. It's had enough of you. I don't regret it. I had a great time for 37 years, but boy, oh boy, life has been amazing this back nine so far. And um, reach out to me with, if anything, just reach out. If you've got questions, any comments, anything, please reach out to me. And remember to keep getting busy, living, sober. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching. Kisses to everybody out there, big hugs, and know I'm cheering for you. Go team, go, go team, go. Let's do it. Let's get busy living sober, busy living sober. Bye, everybody. Take care.